If you've got a Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to get a background to the idea of what marriage is about. And here's what, here's what we're going to do in the coming weeks. Uh, we're going to talk about five commitments to uh, the marriage covenant that really helps create what God desires for marriage. And um, when we talk about five commitments, I know the hesitation of some people when you come to church, we talk about re- relationship, not religion. And you start talking about commitment, and people think, well, that sounds religious. I don't want to be a part of that. But I, I would say to that for this series, um, I'm going to say tough. <laughs> and, and the reason is, is this. When you got married, um, if you are married or you're looking to be married, when you stood before whatever term you want to use, I would say the altar, because I want to acknowledge that, that God is present in, in marriage when we go through that ceremony, you likely gave some, some sort of commitment to your spouse, right? To have and to hold from this day forward till, till death do us part, for rich or for poor, for, for better or for worse. And in that statement, you, you made a commitment. And the way that relationships work is that if, if you're not striving to draw closer in that relationship, then naturally they drift apart. I mean, that works in everything in life. Uh, time and, and distance make a relationship that feels whole become, become a relationship that feels like just two people. And you think even, even in your relationship with the Lord, if you're not drawing closer to Him, you're drawing for, further from Him. And so there is a, a desire within our hearts, the commitment that we have to Christ, to want to know Him and grow closer to Him, to pursue Him that we may know Him. <clears throat> and, uh, and marriage is, is the same. God has this idea that He sets for us in what marriage is about. And if you're a lady here this morning, you start thinking and talking in terms of marriage. Uh, ladies tend to dream about marriage or, or at least their wedding day, right? And you think of young girls, they, they picture the perfect house. Some, some ladies even start naming their kids before they ever meet their husband, right? You show up and you tell them, no, these are their kids' names. So you, just deal, you deal with that. I, I've, I've had this in my mind for 20 years. Men, on the other hand, they, they tend to think more about the honeymoon, right? Like how, how do we keep that going? And, the, and what we tend to find out is you, you plan, you dream, and we romanticize the idea uh, of marriage. But when we get into marriage, we find that sometimes it doesn't meet our expectations. And we get upset, we get hurt, we, we get angry, we want to give up. Some of us feel like and wonder if it's even possible to have a, a good marriage. And I just want to say this morning that I believe because God created marriage that uh, it, it is possible to have a good marriage. I think it's even possible to have a, a, a great marriage. And so what we want to do this morning is to give us some tools, whether you're single, ready to mingle, or, or you're, you've been married. The thought is if you're single and you know that marriage is in your future or you're looking towards that, what are some, some tools that could help you as you plan for that in, in your life? And if, and if you're married, what, what are some things that we can continue to build upon that we can experience what God desires for that? So I, I think a good marriage is, is possible because God created marriage and He created it uh, for that purpose. Um, but I want to be honest in saying I don't think good marriages are probable if, if we live out the married life the way that our American society teaches us. Uh, statistics tell us that uh, it, it, for anyone that's married, you've got a 50-50 shot at your marriage being a success. And I, I don't know about you, but if, if the statistics in anything in my life <laughs> was a 50-50 shot I, I, and it was a, a negative response, I, I don't know that I would participate in that. 
Meaning, if I had a 50-50 shot of going to the mall today and getting mugged, I will, I will not be going to the mall today. Or if, if I have a 50-50 shot of getting in my car and getting in a wreck, anywhere I go that day, I'm going to be walking, right? Or, or if just something I know that negative is going to happen to me and it's a 50-50 toss-up in the air, I, I, I don't see myself participating in that. And the way that uh, our society teaches about marriage today, I think there are some principles that are, are, are so unhealthy to us that it naturally produces unhealthy results. You think about even in our society today, if a young person wants to get their driver's license, I mean, in order to do that, that's a pretty big decision. You're giving your teen, you, know, you as parents who have teenagers, you go through this emotionally. I'm putting my kid behind that piece of steel going that fast, right? How do you, how do you deal with that? But, you know, before we put them behind the road, I mean, we have certain requirements to make sure they're prepared for that. Right? They take tests, and well, other than me, just a, a tidbit, when I was a kid, I was in... Um, I was in Alabama in high school, and I moved to West Virginia, and I took my learners in Alabama. When I got to West Virginia, apparently I didn't know what a learner's was, so I never had to take my driving test. They just gave me a regular license, so, so I don't know how they qualified that. They just said, uh, he's got all his teeth. That's good for West Virginia. Come on. Come on in. Like, like I, I don't know what was up with that. So other than me, to get your driving te- uh, permit or license, you have to take a test. But when it comes to, to marriage, you just got to show up to the courthouse with 15 bucks, right? I mean, but... But you think about the significance of that decision and what kind of preparation we might give to young people for that. Or as an adult going into marriage, the preparation that you've had leading to those, uh, that moment in the rest of your life. Were you ready? It's important as we look at these commitments together, what, what I desire to do is just build for us a biblical basis for what God says about marriage And then we'll talk about those commitments that enhance that relationship in in, in the Lord. And so the Bible starts with us in in Genesis chapter 2. This is where we'll begin. We won't actually, we'll reference verse 1 in just, or chapter 1 in a few verses in a minute. But God creates humanity, and when he creates humanity, he then creates man and woman. It says in Genesis 2, 22, And the, the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into a woman and brought her to the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. I bring up this verse just to give this one, one remark to us, and that is this. God created marriage. <laughs> it's not something that we've invented uh, as people, but something God has desired. And so it's important for us to recognize that because if, if you desire to get from your marriage what God desires for marriage, then, then the thought within our mind should be we should look to God for the answers for what marriage is about. God created marriage. The second thought in these passages come here in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. In Genesis 1.28, he said this, God said to them, talking about Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and, and have dominion, it should say over it, and, and for some reason it says Genesis again, have, have dominion over it. And then chapter 2 and, and verse 18, it says this, God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God created the man first and then he created woman. 
God creates marriage, and the purpose that he creates marriage, we find in 2.18, it's not good to be alone, but God rather created it that marriage would be a blessing. And in demonstrating that blessing, he creates two genders that complement one another in gender giftedness, that they can work together in what God has called them to do in that marriage relationship. And it says this, that we would be fruitful and, and multiply, that, that your marriage would not only be a gift to you, but your marriage would be a gift to the world. Learning what it means to be a godly man and woman becomes important to understanding what it means to be in a God-given marriage. God creates man. God creates woman. God gives them particular gender giftedness that they complement one another as helpers that through that relationship, not only are they blessed, but the world is blessed. And so back to 2.24, I didn't give you the end of the tell end of this verse, but it, it tells us in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, and they shall become one flesh. If you think about the beginning of, of the verse, it says, for this reason, a husband or a, a, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Meaning as God creates man and God creates woman, he, he comes to this point in their creation knowing that he's designed them, uh, both genders, for, for marriage. And he says, and this is what it's driving to, that two shall become one. When we talk about the, one, the word one in this passage, what it carries is the idea of, of this deep, sense of what it means one it's saying in the deepest seed of who you are the deepest identity the deepest the depths of your heart in that place your relationship it's so close that you can't you can't tell where one person ends and the other one begins it's important as we think about a verse like this to to remind ourselves that it is in fact god who created marriage you consider what God is saying here. God is saying one plus one equals one. <laughs> if you try that in math class, you get an F. So, so what I like to think when I read this passage is that in order f- for this to happen, it, it takes a, an act of God. For one plus one to equal one, God needs to be involved in that. But the reality is, is as God has created us in Genesis chapter 2 and and verse 24 to to be one, marriage doesn't always work that way. In fact, many of the times you find it to be a struggle. Genesis 2, God gives for us the idea of what marriage is about and the blessing it's to to bring. And then in Genesis 3, something horrific happens. Something devastating to all of, all of humankind and all of creation. And that is the introduction of sin. And what sin is about is, is disunity. Where the Lord unites, sin separates. Where the Lord is about community, sin is about individuality. Where marriage is about selflessness, sin is all about self. Where the marriage is about what you give, sin only thinks about what you can get. When a marriage is about we, sin always thinks about you. And the oneness of marriage, when sin entered the world, was challenged. Meaning, if you're not pursuing oneness with your spouse because of the sinfulness in the world, you'll naturally become two. Because of the sin-cursed world that we live in, 
we need to work towards being one with our spouse. In Genesis chapter 3, it reads for us the curse that happens upon creation. And you get to verse 16 and it talks about the curse on the wife. And just before this, it talks about painful childbirth. Ladies, you know that, right? You don't have to give me a verse to know that that's real, right? Genesis 3.16, then it goes on to say this, Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Meaning it's describing tension in that relationship. This isn't a positive thing in this verse. This verse is in the context of all the negative things that's happened because uh, of sin in this world. And so he's saying, your desire will be to dominate your husband and your husband's going to be ruling over you. And, and the word desire in this passage is the same desire that Cain had when he killed Abel. It's a negative desire. Meaning you're going to go at each other. And so the conclusion of just the thought behind the precedent of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 says this, men and women were created for marriage, but none of us are compatible in marriage because of sin. Meaning there's going to be tension. God created you for it. It's intended to be a blessing. We've got to recognize that there will be tension because of sin. And it's important for us to learn how to work through that in that relationship so we can experience what God desires between you and your spouse. The more you see yourself as an individual in a marriage rather than a team the further you are from what God desires for your marriage. God desires oneness, and sin will always separate you into two. It creates that tension and that bitterness and that frustration, and you start looking down on one another. And in your own hurt, rather than seek to be one, you start attacking your spouse that they can begin to experience the hurt that they've brought upon you. God's desire is that we see ourselves as one. In fact, when the Apostle Paul wrote about marriage, he, he did so in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28. He, he explains it this way, that we, we should see ourselves as one in marriage so much so that if anything happens to your spouse, you feel that pain. In verse 28, he says it to the guys, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Meaning whatever happens to her, men, you take that as an offense to yourself. You're so connected in the deep seed of who you are that her pain is your pain. And her reality becomes your reality because God's desire for you is to be one. And sin always represents that challenge. And so everything that we share over the weeks ahead will be driving towards that thought building oneness in your marriage before the Lord. And so maybe the the beginning question we can start asking, we'll ask this for the next four weeks after today, is how can my marriage be one in the Lord? When Jesus talks about connecting in relationships, he actually defines for us what it means to be one. He, he does it in the, in the theme verse that we use here as a church family when we establish ourselves. And in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest command? And, and Jesus said to the man who asked, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Meaning when, when Jesus talks about oneness, he, he mentions specific things here. But he, what he's saying in essence is, there is no part hidden from me. When you talk about your relationship with me, it's not just something you do Sunday, but it's something you experience with me every day. You don't withhold anything from me, and I'm not withholding myself from you. We, we give ourselves to each other. And so when I talk about loving me, when you think about uh, giving yourself away, it's with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. And some passages even say strength. Everything that you are seeks to be one. And then he goes on and explains, and as you understand that, do that in relationships. But can I tell you, as you consider this verse, the only reason that we're able to connect to the Lord with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and all of our strength is because we're connected to the Lord spiritually. Meaning the Bible tells us when sin happens, we were dead in sin in Ephesians 2, 1, and that Christ brings us to life. Just as Christ came back to life in the resurrection, Christ brings us spiritual life through him. And it's only because of that spiritual life that we're able to understand the depths of who we are and communicate that with the Lord in relationship. And I I would submit to you, and that works in every relationship in this world, it's when you understand who you are and who, in light of who God is that you really truly begin to understand who your identity is or what your identity is in this world because of Christ. And that identity in Christ begins to shape your relationships, and most importantly, it shapes your marriage relationship. And so it's when we come to the Lord and we learn to love Him with all we are, our heart, soul, mind, strength, that we then learn how to love others the way that God has created us to love. The world defines love as a pretty selfish, self-centered, self-fulfilling thing. God defines love as one that gives itself away abundantly. Love really doesn't think of self, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, but love gives itself away. When you go to the marriage relationship and you use the term love in and, and reality, when, when the husband gives himself fully to his wife and the wife gives herself fully to, to the husband, that oneness is created because each of you is caring for the other one's need. And in that oneness, you, you see any offense to your wife as something that's offending you as well. And so you're seeking to, to bring that reconciliation and oneness together. And so the thought that we carry is this, seek the one above, uh, excuse me, seek the one above you to unite with the one beside you. And, and so if you're here this morning, you're thinking, okay, well, I'm, I'm not married, so thank you for none of this that helps yet. Um, how, how, does this, how does this work for me? I, I would say an encouragement to you, learn to give yourself to the one before you give yourself to someone. God wants you to be one with your future spouse and not be one with everyone until you meet your spouse. Prepare yourself to be the person that God wants you to be so that when you marry your spouse, you'll be ready to walk as one. Uh, Matthew six thirty three. this week, I'll tell you why it's contextualized in a minute, but Jesus has given the Sermon on the Mount, but he, and he says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
In this passage, Jesus is preaching what his kingdom's going to look like and what his kingdom is. And he says, seek it first. Seek me first in the kingdom and what I'm about. Seek all those things first. And the context of what he's talking about in Matthew 5 to 7, those things will be added to you, which includes relationship and marriage relationship and living life. God, as you seek those things, builds you up in the identity that he desires to work harmoniously in relationships in this world. When you make God first, he prepares you for what he has in store. And if he created you to be married, God works within you in that relationship. And you ask as a single person, well, how do you know that someone's the one? If, if you don't give yourself away to someone, how, how, how do you know that someone is the one? And I would say this to singleness this morning. If, um, if you're looking for someone to be specifically compatible to you, there isn't a person in the world that is compatible to someone else. And this is why we're sinful. We are sinful. At some point, we will not be compatible, right? We will, we will argue. There will be tension, you will think you're right, and I am. <laughs> there is not someone who is completely compatible. But this is what you look for. You look at their character. You look for the fruit of the Spirit. Does he love the Lord? Ladies, you could ask, is he a man? Does he provide? How does he treat his mother? What kind of respect does he show? Is he a hard worker? Does he straight, stay true to the things he commits to? Does he seek God because of you or does he seek God because he loves the Lord? Does he do justice or does he break justice? Is he merciful? Is he, is he merciless? Does he walk humbly or is he arrogant? And I would encourage you to do this. If you're young, ask your mom and dad. I know that you don't think they're right. <laughs> but if your parents especially are striving in this together, they know what it takes. And they know what they're talking about. <laughs> for young guys, I, I would say this. Look for the fruit of the Spirit in her. Watch her. Does she handle herself graciously? What does her heart reveal about her? Does she love the Lord? Does she display what you want in a wife or a mother? Is she selfish or is she selfless? Does she want to serve or to be served? Does she respect uh, her parents or does she disrespect them? Let God work on you in the character that he desires to build in your relationship and look for the fruit of the Spirit in the one that you desire to marry or as you're looking for someone to marry. I had a great conversation with a college guy. We have missions teams that come out all the time, and, and when they leave, they keep calling me. <laughs> like We have uh, teenagers and college kids especially, and so there's this one college kid that calls me. I hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> but he, he, call, he calls me, and he says he wants me to know that he was dating this girl that um, she, he thought she was a godly girl, and she was. And, and uh, he says, you know, I just want you to know it didn't work out, um, and, um, and we're okay with that. And, and so I said, well, why? And his response was this, I didn't give myself away to her, right? And I think, well, that's great, man. You, you guys didn't jump in bed together. That's wonderful. And he goes, no, no, no. no, no. You've, you've even gone too far in that thought. What I mean is when I, when I marry my future uh, bride, I, I want to be able to give all that I am to her, my, my heart, my mind, my soul, my body, my strength. I want everything to be her first. So, so not only did I not give myself to her physically, but I refused to give myself to her emotionally. I refused to connect to her spiritually. 
I'm saving that for my spouse. How, how do you do that today? And he said, he said it, well, it's tricky. You, know? you think, but, but we went out together and we said this. We were interested in each other. And we knew that both, both of us loved the Lord. I dropped all that. We loved the Lord. And so what we did is we just spent time together in, in groups. And I just watched how she carried herself and she watched how I carried myself. And our conclusion was we thought we would be great for someone in the future, but not for each other. And so without the emotional baggage, we're able just to let go. I thought, that's great advice, man. You think about the way that we just beat ourselves up in what we teach about relationships today. By the time, if you meet someone to marry, how much emotional baggage you might carry. Because we tend to think of giving ourselves away physically, but rarely think about the way that we do it emotionally and spiritually and what God desires us for that oneness, that oneness with your spouse. For those who are married... How can we be one? And I approached this this morning thinking, you know, we are in all kinds of places um, in relationships of marriage. You think about your spouse. There tends to be one spouse, might be spiritually stronger than another. How, how when God created us to be one with him and carry that oneness into our marriage, how, how do we even do that? How can we be one? And, and you know, think about the commitment to, to your spouse to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, sickness and health, forsaking all others, being faithful to you as long as we both shall live. So, so help me, God. How do you do that? I want to say you need the Lord to live out that commitment. You need the Lord to keep you from separating into two, but to strive to be one. You know, for us, we, we, we face all kinds of problems in society when we think about the oneness that God desires in, in, in our relationship. Uh, we, we come to marriage seeking a spouse many a times not, and not seeking the Lord first. And we seek the spouse thinking in our heads that, that the spouse is the one that's going to make me happy or, or fulfill all of our needs. And, and if he's broken before we get into it, it's okay, I'll fix it. I'll fix him. I have time, right? I'm going to tell you, you can't fix your spouse. <laughs> that, there's a proverb that says this, uh, a, a nagging, sorry wives, a nagging wife is like a dripping faucet. Or there's another one that says, it's better to live on the roof of your home than in the home with a nagging wife. And I would say this, the lady would say, she's just trying to fix them. <laughs> and it doesn't work. Praying for them does, but nagging them doesn't. How do we be one? Well, if you idolize someone in your life as to be your satisfaction as if they were your God, they will be the one that com- completes you. One of two things happens. <clears throat> you either idolize them wrongly, which, which is wrong, or you, you demonize them, meaning, meaning um, you, you think about them in ways that you should think about the Lord and, and, and then when they fail at doing what you think they should do, then they're the, just the worst low life sitting on the couch like a log doing nothing. And so when you put them in that position, you elevate them to a, a, a place of failure. So how do we be one? And so my encouragement as we think about just the end, there's lots of things that you could do in a relationship to seek oneness, especially when you talk about spiritually. Um, there's opportunities that God's created us as for, for couples to, to grow. But the most important thing is to create momentum to be one. 
meaning do something. Natural tendency in our lives is to become two. Natural tendency without working on the relationship is that that relationship will work on you. And if you do nothing, then you will divide. But it's important to create momentum to be one. And spiritually speaking, we can do this by reading God's Word or praying together or serving together, creating spiritual traditions as a family together, like Easter last week, if there's something special your family does, attending community groups together, becoming uh, a team on the way that you lead your family together, having dinner together, serving in the community some way together, create, creating momentum is important. But thinking about walking out of here this morning, I, I, I don't just want to give you a list of things that you should do, and I don't want to create those things to be just this religious checklist that if you check them, then it works in your relationship. I, just, I, I want to give us just one target to hit that creates momentum. Now you think about in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. I'll give you the backdrop to this so we don't say I theologically take this out of context, but God's talking to the nation of Israel. The nation of, of Israel lives under this promise under the Mosaic Covenant that if they obey God, then they're blessed. And if they disobey God, they're not. And in Second Chronicles, God's reminding them of that, that you need to seek me so that you're blessed. And so you could specifically address this to the nation. And, and I'll tell you how spiritual we can address it to ourselves in just a minute. But let me read it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God, in this passage of Scripture, talks about the idea of prayer as the way of healing their family, as the way of healing their country, as the way of healing their relationship with the Lord. God's telling the nation of Israel this will bless them, but I'll tell you this morning, it will do the same for you. God created prayer that we could connect to Him. God desires to build His will in your life, His image in you, and when you connect to Him, it gives Him the opportunity to do that. As a nation, when they do that, it gives them the opportunity together to do that. As a family, when you do that, it gives you the opportunity as a family for the, to allow the God to build that identity in you. As a married couple, when you do that, it gives God the opportunity to build his identity in you together as one. God comes to this passage of a nation that's divided, divided from him and splintered from each other. His solution to the oneness is just to seek his face, to begin to pray. Family Life uh, did a survey not too long ago out of a thousand couples they interviewed, um, and, and there were Christian couples. And out of the thousand Christian couples that they interviewed, they they found that few fewer than eight percent of those families pray regularly. So out of a thousand, was that eighty people? Fewer than eight percent of them pray regularly. But of those that pray regularly, fewer than one percent of them have been. Uh, have had a divorce. Prayer in that family, in those families, brought oneness with them. I got to tell you, when I, when I think about the idea of this verse and, and God using what he can to bring oneness in my family, I was not raised in an openly spiritual um, home, meaning people would have claimed to, in my home, to, to 
love Jesus? If you asked them, do you love Jesus? They would have said yes. And then that was it. You know? So there was, no living, there was no living for the Lord outside and, and seeking unity in Christ together. And so when, when I got married, the idea of bringing Jesus into my home to create that oneness um, wasn't, wasn't something that came naturally for me. But one of the things that, that for my family we started doing is we started praying together. And one of the things I discovered in our prayers is that my wife and I draw closer together. And can, can I tell you just, just some thoughts of why prayer works? When, when prayer is done naturally, it, it creates intimacy. It, it's hard not to pray with someone and not hear what's on their heart. Guys, I think more than anyone, if there's ever a person in a marriage relationship that's hard to know what's going on in the inside, right? It's not your wife, <laughs> but you. I, I can think, my, 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 um, I grew up in, my last name's Wall, and in the Wall family, we, we, don't, we don't talk about our emotions. Matter of fact, we don't even show them. We, we, we do best, we operate as statues. And, and so to even think about prayer and it being intimate and having to talk about things in your heart before you pray before the Lord is a big step, but it's an important step to, for intimacy. It reveals your heart. Now, I can think as a young boy, I was five years old, and my grandfather was a man of faith, and he loved the Lord. And I remember I went to his house to visit, and um, my grandmother's on the phone, and I'm standing there beside him because I'm waiting to go do something with my grandpa. And my grandma gets up the f- off the phone. She looks upset. She turns and mentions the thing that's upsetting to my grandpa. And my grandpa goes outside. He's a wall. We don't do emotions. <laughs> and he goes outside. And um, for the first time in my life, I saw the realness of prayer. Because my grandpa, in that moment, he, he walks away from everyone. <laughs> and he falls to his knees. And I just see tears stream down his eyes. And he just lifts his heart before God. And you think about the idea of praying with your spouse. And if that seems hard to you, maybe it's the awkwardness that you need to get over, or maybe it's hard because there's tension in that relationship. I think what, what more healing could it be than to get with the one who created marriage and to get with the one who you're having tension with? And to talk about that struggle and to lift it up before the Lord. Marriage brings us, or excuse me, prayer brings us to a place of humbleness. It brings us to a place of intimacy. It brings us to a place of right focus. It gets off of self. It shows families where the priorities lie. It reminds us about community rather than individuality. It brings you closer over time. And yeah, it might be awkward. But maybe the point is, let it be weird. Your family needs to see you struggle over something valuable as much as they see you successful in it. The importance of that for the family builds oneness. I, I love the way it started for um, Stacey and I when we brought it in with our kids. Grayson's three, he's finally gotten old enough to, to pray. And so we, we have a meal together. And um, it's funny because sometimes I want to go to the couch to watch the game, but he loves the table now, so he'll pull me. He'll pull me in. That's a confession. I'm sorry, <laughs> but, but we'll go into the table and we'll we'll pray. And so we'll go around the table. And we'll just ask something about prayer. What are we going to pray about? And and then we'll bow our heads to pray. And so we never taught this kid how to pray. But he just starts praying out loud. <laughs> he just, uh, since we talked about it, he thinks everyone gets to jump in. And so we all just start hashing it out loud. And so I listened. Last night we were praying again, and I got to listen to the things that he prayed for. And so 
you know, we've talked over time, just people that are sick, people that needs help. He knows every Saturday night we pray for church. And so last night, without mentioning it, prays for our church family. God, I want to have fun with my friends tomorrow. <laughs> he prays that his grandma will give him a present next time he sees her. <laughs> and he prays for Elijah, a young boy that we know that's been out. His family's been out here a couple times from Florida. He just got diagnosed with um, leukemia and and we prayed for him, but I didn't even tell him to pray for him. Just prayer time came, and he just started praying. And, you know, as good as a dad, he prays so loud, I can't even hear my own prayer sometimes. But, but I got to hear what was on my son's heart. And I know what he's, what he's thinking about. I feel closer to him than that. I mean, it helps me see his health spiritually. God, what, what's God doing in your son? I mean, he's holding things close to him that other than the selfish prayer for a present, he, he's holding, and that's important for a kid too, so who cares? But he's holding, he's holding those things close to him, and God's using that. So let me, let me tell you this. If you're thinking about building oneness in your relationship, you've, you don't have to take prayer. You need, to, you need to do something. You've got to create momentum in that. And I know for some families, depending on where we are spiritually, prayer can be a non-threatening thing to do that. And so let me encourage you, if you try or attempt to think about using prayer, just start with two questions when you get together. Uh, Prayer for us can oftentimes be something where we treat God like a pinata. We just beat up and we tell him things that we want. And in in that way, prayer becomes um, draining sometimes. I'll just tell God all your problems. (laughs) I don't even talk about all my problems all the time. Uh, But here's, 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 here's what's good. Start with this. What's something you're thankful for? I mean, you get to communicate with your family about that, to hear what they're appreciating in life, and then bring it before the Lord to thank them. What's something you're thankful for? And then this, what's something that's got your heart anxious? What's something that's troubling you? Let's open up about that. Let's hear what's weighing on your heart so as a spouse, I can think about that later. Later when we're separated from each other, I'm at my work day, I can text you and let you know, honey, I'm still praying for you in that need. I, I, I am one with you in this. What's something you're thankful for? What's something that's got your heart anxious? And then pray about it. You might end up praying with your three-year-old about toys, but who cares? (laughs) It's important to create momentum. So the thought is this. Create momentum to be one. God wants you to be one. God created marriage to be a blessing. If you're not working on it, it will work on you. Sin will pull it apart. God is the one that brings it together. He shows us what oneness is with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. There is no secret that separates, but you're united together so deep in the recesses of of your heart that you can't tell where one spouse ends and the other one begins. And when one of you are offended, both of you are offended because you are connected to each other. And when one of you rejoices, both of you rejoice in that because you are one in Him. God made you made your, spa- your spouse. God made marriage. God's desire for that is one. Be one. And so what I'm asking, I guess, is our, of our church this morning is this. It is a place of intimacy to grab the hands of your spouse and to look her in the eyes or to look him in the eyes and say, honey, is there anything you're thankful for? Is there anything your heart is anxious over?